From the mouth breathers to the idiots, from TV to print, this is the Entitled Podcast Network, and this is Entitled Weekend. Welcome to Entitled Weekend. It's the end of February, and it's been an interesting time if you are a follower of of, of the Patriots, um, which for me, at least, that's been waning the last few months with the unfettered departure of Bill Belichick and now the just the unmitigated mess that it's been Robert Kraft and his and and just the entire situation that's been unfolding. Um, we've got Kyle, Bill, and Rob here, and want to start off with the recent, most recent mail press conference. The <laughs> if I could say anything about it first, it was what was very interesting the way it turned out, and I want to play a clip first of Rob Mail, and this is the one that really incited me the most um, about how he wants to be all buddy buddy with the media vibe and connect. Um, they know that you know our relationship with the media is very important. Stacy and Aaron have done a good job explaining it to those guys, but at the same time, I think there needs to be uh, a good relationship between the two groups. And, and hopefully, uh, look, I'll There needs to be a good relationship between the media and and the coaches, I guess. So, Bill, where, where do you stand on this? Because me, I feel as though He's he's asking for something that's not going to happen because the minute the team has a blunder or it has a, 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 a you know a player fumbles they're gonna the, the media will be especially the Boston media they'll be right up under him. I'm not trying to be your dad, guys. I'm not trying to be Bill. I'm the I'm the cool uncle. I'm gonna hang out and be chill with everyone, and it's beer o'clock and my oh my. I I understand what he's trying to do. And much of it is probably predicated on other items we'll talk about later in relation to Robert Kraft's Hall of Fame possibilities, etc. And the clear blitz to make him a very Hall of Fame-ready candidate. Um, so, yeah, it's important to your owner that you have a good relationship with the media. What it's not important to is winning football games. Your relationship with Ben Volan wins you zero football games. Your relationship with Burt Breer, your relationship with Gasper, your relationship with the sports media talking heads, they are, it means nothing to winning games or not. And I have to say that it's concerning that so far we have heard more about the relationship with the media than we have heard about the front office structure coming directly from Mayo. We hear, you know, oh, sources tell us this and all of that. And I'm sure that's coming from somewhere because everyone is tapped in. The, the doors are wide open at Gillette Stadium. But to not hear that from Mayo, but instead to hear that, like, the fact he can go and grab a beer with, you know, Shank, that, that bothers me. That, it, that we're talking more about the relationship with the media. It, it just put, continues to put the focus that I think the decisions being made thus far this offseason – are being made with the wrong priorities in mind. And at the end of the day, 
do I think they're going to be a better football team next year? Yeah, because Robert Kraft is going to spend a buttload of money, one, because he has to, and two, because they have to look like they stuck the landing, get, letting go of Belichick in order for all of this to work. So they're going to be better this year. But I am concerned for this team in three to five years, specifically if Robert Kraft dies and Jonathan Kraft has full control. Not that he doesn't already, but I, I do think that not having you know, any check and balance there, we all know, and that's not even exclusive to Jonathan. We all know the son of an owner is a, is a bad owner more often than not. So I've got deep concerns about where this is all going. Um, and it starts with this blitz of we must get have a good relationship with the media. The media doesn't want a good relationship with you. One of the core, two of the core outlets, really, Nesson and the Boston Globe, are owned by somebody who sees you as competition. You're not their buddy guy. You're not their guy buddy. This isn't going to go the way you expect it to go. You can wine and dine them and all of that, but at the end of the day, you're not cutting their checks. I'm sure you'll get great press on Patriots.com, but anytime the Red Sox need to detract from the fact that they are going to have an absolutely abysmal season, you're going to get hung out to dry, and you're not going to understand why, because we broke bread. We, we, did the, we did dinner with them. No, not going to work. So I, I think it's all a fool's errand, but I think it's clearly with the intent to make Robert Kraft look good, and it's not with any mind frame on what is going to win games. And that, to me, is seeing it as a priority this early is concerning. I'm not saying that it distracts from winning, but it, it, seeing it this early as a priority is deeply concerning in regards to what their priorities are over at One Patriot Place. Pa, uh, what do you think? Is, is, are, you, are you concerned from what you've heard so far, thus far, about Gerard Mayo and the direction that he and Robin, well, let's just say it, Robin Glazier and all the people who, and the, all the parade of stars, parade of coaches who are there right now. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, he's throwing out the platitudes I think they're making him throw out in some ways, and it has nothing to do with football whatsoever. Like you said, the, you know, got to have a good relationship with the media because, I guess they've had a combative relationship and you know, it's, it's interesting. The, the 180 the group has done in the last couple months here. Um, anything before that you question is great now and everything that you, you know, it's gone on an opposite up, up is down and down is up. Yeah. 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 It's kind of crazy, but, um, you know, like the nepotism thing and, and, both the Belichick kids are actually really good coaches, and Mayo's brother might be a great strength coach. Um, but all, all of a sudden, what was good is bad, and, and I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it matters any bit towards next year. I, I expect them to be improved purely on the, the probability that you you can't get as banged up as you got this year, two years in a row. I, I would be concerned with some of the things they said that they may have the quarterback in the building, and that would frighten me the most because both of those guys, um, I don't think any of it um, could be wrong, but it um, it's it's become post pattern at this point, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. 
yeah, they both suck. So, <laughs> so yeah, they're gonna they're gonna need to to do some housekeeping in that regard for those positions. Um, look, Dante Hightower is a coach. I'm, I I knew he would be because he's just that kind type of a guy. He's just that type of a leader. So I'm I'm glad about that. But it's it is funny how everyone you know all these media people and haters and fans will talk about Bill Belichick hiring his friends and nepotism. Which by the way, I'm now a Washington Huskies fan. Because Steve Belichick is now a defensive coordinator for them. So I'll be rooting for them uh, probably a lot more often now. Uh, but it is funny how, you know, people are talking about Bill Belichick and his coaching uh, friends, quote unquote, when Gerard Mayo brought in Tyquan Underwood for a coaching position. Tyquan Underwood. Okay. <laughs> not even, not, not Deion Branch or Toy or, you know, or anybody else. David Givens. No, Tyquan Underwood. So come on. Like, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty obvious where the media lies on that, Rob. Um, well, before I go to you, Rob, I want to play this clip from. Well, this is probably going to be the people who are listening to us right now are going to be the only listeners of this podcast or of the podcast that I'm about to refer to. Um, it's called Six, Six Rings. Um, on from the it comes from the uh, now bankrupt WEI and. This is Mike Cadlick and Andy Hart talking about not only is it great that Gerard Mayo's the coach, the reason why it's great is because they get free stuff. With the media, I thought he was interesting in that, yes, he's picked his own staff, um, was asked about players he's crossed paths with or something, and he brought up Mac right off the yeah. – uh, I thought that was interesting. If I were advising him, I'd tell him not to. Mac seems toxic in <laughs> Patriot Nation right now. So um, he brought up Pop Douglas. Yeah. Uh, and he, But he talked about basically we're evaluating everything, mm-hmm. our own players. We're evaluating free agency. Like we're just figuring it all out. Um, he did quarter, sort of define himself as a West Coast offense yeah. guy. I know people are like, oh, what is he, blah, blah, blah. Um, he admitted he hasn't really called plays. He brought right. up NFL Europe was the first yeah. time he did it. He's like, no one knew and what he, I was he doing. He said I could make mistakes because right. nobody knew what was going no on. No one knew. Yeah. Had the, the Buffalo year yep. and then a few games in COVID. Yeah. So really what they're doing is they're talking about Bud Light and getting free Bud Lights and getting getting free stuff. And that's 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 all it is for the media. If you can butter them up with food, then you're you're home free. What do you think about that, Rob? Well, as somebody who has a journalism degree and used to work in the media, I can tell you right now, it's one of the more underpaid professions. And listening to that podcast tells me why. Like, you're, <laughs> they're getting what they're paying for. I mean, my God, the combined IQ on that show is like that of a Twinkie, for crying out loud. I mean, who listens to that? That's insanity. Like, I can't believe somebody would actually listen to that. But the thing that with Mayo so far, and let me preface this by saying, Gerard Mayo was one of my favorite Patriots. I loved it. I loved it when they drafted him. I loved watching him play. I own a Gerard Mayo jersey. He was smart. Well, he is smart. He's, you know, I thought when they kind of, when that last offseason, when he was kind of flirting with with the Panthers, whoever it was, and Kraft came in and gave him a new contract, and basically it, it became clear that he was sort of the heir apparent, I was good with that. You know, I was good with that. I thought that was a great choice. I thought Mayo's a really good candidate and all that sort of thing. Everything I've seen, from that pathetic and embarrassing Thunder press conference up until right now has been just like 
jaw dropping how just awful it is. It's just why on earth do you need to have a good relationship with the media? Explain that to me. Number one. Number two, it, I think they're tr obviously trying to draw that sort of juxtaposition between what Mayo is going to be and what Bill was. But understand that Bill Belichick did nothing by happenstance. Like there's a reason why he was coy with the media. There's a reason why he gave them one word answers. There's a reason why he cliched them to death because he doesn't want to give the opposition a thing, not a thing. We've sat and watched for 20 something years as we lead up to every game. And I always jump on the opposing team's website and I watch their coaches press conference and I sit there and marvel and stare at the screen. And I'm like, stop talking. You know, like, why are you talking so like, I mean, I think the media right now, what is Mayo planning on doing? Is he just going to Xerox the game plan and then meet with the media and go over it for them so that they can put it in their papers and on their websites? I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, it's just it, he's it's really discouraging to me, like to see how he's sort of begun. I And it doesn't look to me like he's going to learn until he goes you know, has a six game losing streak or something like that. And the media turns on him or as Bill said, you know, John Henry needs to wipe the socks off the headline. So he's going to come out with some hit piece. It, it's going to be something like that is what it's going to take for him to learn the lesson that these guys aren't your friends. So there's no need to treat them as such. Yeah, they're not. And again, they're going to, they're going to use every type of ammo they have to, get get a take on you and it and unfortunately there some of our some already have so I, I don't know if i wish him the best of luck but i wish him some luck because i wish him luck on in that regard because it's not going to be it's not going to be pretty once things go wrong so now i want to talk about the dynasty and i have been looking forward to talking about this for since it came out since the idea for this came out. I don't remember when it was announced that there was going to be a series, but I know um, in our chat and we talked with our, our buddy Robert Alvarez and I was talking with him and we both feel the same way that things like this, documentaries like this are way too early to be made because, and clearly we were seeing this with the, with the criticism that's been going on, especially over the last two episodes. Four episodes have already come out. Um, we're going to talk mainly about the first two because those are the ones that I've uh, watched, at least watched clips of. Um, the, ne the next two, um, I have a, don't tell anybody, I have a bootleg way to watch them, but I haven't watched them yet. So I, I do want to take a look and see what everybody's talking about because it's, I guess it's like a FOMO thing, but there's a lot more missing out <laughs> over the, the previous two episodes than the next two. So these first two episodes apparently were pretty good, but there were a lot of things that I think are, are worth talking about. First of all, um, <laughs> for it, what do you think about this this entire? Uh, do you think it's too early to be making a document a documentary like this, Bill? Because I think it is. There's there's too much. There's less time removed from Bill Belichick being let go. So. I would think that we're, we're not getting the full story. And um, in this town, one is, is basically, I'm on the same wavelength of thinking as him. Looking at him, he, he's, basic, he's basically forced to do this entire thing because he just, just doesn't seem like he wants to be in it. Bill Belichick, that is. Well, because it's a 10-episode 
piece that is trying to limit the importance of everybody but Robert Kraft. The Again, this comes back to my point from the first topic. This is all about getting Robert Kraft into the Hall of Fame. All you need to see is the credits. The credits don't say Patriots Dynasty LLC. Yep. They don't say New England Championships LLC. It says Kraft Dynasty LLC. Kraft Dynasty LLC. That is, and it's not, and it's not a Kraft Sports production, mind you. If, if it said Kraft no. Sports production, it'd be all right. No, and it's what. But again, it's the whole goal of this. The whole lens of it is the importance of Robert Kraft to this dynasty. Episode one was all about, you know, episodes one and two were all about like, oh, Brady coming in and the decisions and, oh, how he, he didn't, you know, he wanted to do right. He's a family man who wanted to do right by Drew Bledsoe and, you know, was very disappointed by the Rams game and all of it. It's, it's this whole middling thing that he wants to do about every tough decision that's ever been made in his franchise. He want Drew Bledsoe was like a son to me. Okay, then Tom Brady was like a son to me. And then he wanted Mac Jones because he wanted Mac Jones to be like a son to him. I, I'm sorry. Are these employees or are they your sons? Because I can tell why there has been this disconnect between Belichick and Kraft. Belichick sees football as a business and uh, because it is. Kraft sees it as a hobby. And sees it as an opportunity to be able to to rub elbows, like the time he spends with Meek Mill, like the time he spends with any other celebrity. He he sees it as rubbing elbows with greats. And that's fine if you stay out of the way. That's fine if you stay out of the way. But this is not doing the washing of Kraft's legacy that he thinks it's going to. The large response has been overwhelmingly negative to how clearly dismissive this is of contributions of people like Belichick. And it's not just Belichick. Have we heard from Charlie Weiss or Romeo Cornell? Has a minute been spent on Charlie Weiss or Romeo Cornell? The answer is no. We spend more time on Bill fucking Parcells. Or even Eric Mangini. (laughs) Even Eric Mangini. Two people who actively did nothing to support this dynasty. And listen, I am all, you, you all know me, Tuna Hater is in my Twitter bio. Like, I hate Bill Parcells as the Patriots coach. But when you look at the legacy that Robert Kraft is starting to leave, it's Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame coach leaves. He shits on them. Because it's inarguable that he's hired Parcells, he's hired Pete Carroll, and he's hired Bill Belichick. All three are going to be Hall of Fame coaches by the end of it all in the NFL Hall of Fame. And he has not had a good relationship with one of them on the way out the door. You know, you want to talk about like, oh, Bill is so gruff with people. You hear a lot about how wonderful Bill is as a head coach from a lot of people. But people focus on the, the couple of players that he rubbed the wrong way or what have you. Robert Kraft has had three head coaches in the entirety of his ownership and has a good relationship today with zero of them. That should concern you. And then there's quotes about, like, Jonathan Kraft really hating Bill Parcells. He tried to hurt my family. Again, it's the same mindset that this is, you know, this isn't the mafiosa. This is not, like, we're a family. Vin Diesel ain't walking through that door, friends. You're not my family. This is a business. 
And if the owner is going to operate it like it is a family, God help every coach that walks through the door that doesn't take the reins and make it a business. Bill Parcells got overruled on key decisions. It's why I don't want him in the Pats Hall of Fame because he didn't build the roster. Robert Kraft meddled. I don't want him in the Pats Hall of Fame. He didn't do anything to build the success of the team. He was a 500 head coach, had one good season. Sorry. Nothing against him. He's a Hall of Fame NFL coach. Bill, Bill Belichick has done countless good for this organization over the span of the years. And then Kraft starts to meddle. Wants Mac Jones in. Wants more of an influence. And then wants his legacy. And part of it, I think, is coming down to that whole legacy-based piece, that Kraft Dynasty LLC. I will harp on that forever. That is everything you need to know about this in one screenshot. It is a self-serving documentary with the intent goal of making Kraft look good. And unfortunately for him, it is a slightly better documentary than he meant it to be because it is showing you clearly the lens of Robert Kraft and his beliefs and the lens of Jonathan Kraft and his beliefs as to what created the dynasty. And the fact that they are trying to be so dismissive of the many many contributors who made it great is making them look terrible. And if anything, I would start to argue if this is going to go the way it's looking, it's going to go in the remaining episodes. I would argue that this may hurt Robert Kraft's Hall of Fame candidacy in the short term, not help it. Yeah, it's basically, uh, it's pretty crazy how it's right. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's the Sopranos, the way Jonathan is treating this is as if, you know, you, you'd never take away from the family. Like, it's crazy. And too, cra- too craft, too furious. <laughs> yeah, we've had enough of those. We've had enough of those sequels, haven't we? It, it's pretty crazy. Um, and I found this quote from, um, an, from an article. Uh, from Chad Graff, I believe, this is from The Athletic, about this documentary. So what, this prepared me for how terrible I knew this was going to be. Um, it says, ESPN made local headlines last month when a story following Belichick's departure from the Patriots quoted someone referring to this forthcoming documentary as an, quote-unquote, infomercial for Kraft's Pro Football Hall of Fame candidacy. So we're not the only ones who feel this way. We're not the only ones who are. There's somebody somebody else in that circle who feels that this is a, a craft hagiography. And it says this documentary, which the athletic was allowed to screen for this review is not that it's much more focused on the relationship between Brady and Belichick. And in totality, it's the most comprehensive view of how miserable people in the building were in the final years of their dynasty, or at least that's the juiciest, most interesting part. Again, that's what the media cares about. They care about the juice. They care about the real housewives of Foxborough of it all and not the you know, the actual football. And so I want to start out with this entire thread and Kyle and Robin want you guys to respond to this. Um, this is from the dynasty. It's from the first episode, I believe this is week 10. And this is Robert Kraft talking about the Rams game. This now you, we all as diehard Patriots fans, we all remember the Rams game week 10, 2001. They lost the Patriots lost the game, but in all intents and purposes, this you could consider a win because nobody thought that the Patriots would be able to do anything in that game. And this is the way Robert Kraft thought about it. Tonight, Tom Brady's got to be the biggest show in town. 
right into the hands of a middle linebacker. And I didn't even see a receiver in the area. Tom Brady tries to force a play when he doesn't have to. Part of the learning process for a young quarterback. Brady steps up close. Intercept and a throw. Watching that game, I felt that Bill had let us down. I had people on my case how bad my judgment was for not starting a guy like Drew Bledsoe. They were calling me and saying, what a mistake. Our final score, St. Louis 24, New England 17. And it's back to 500 for the New England Patriots. Bill and I were under pressure. Rob, I, I absolutely loathe him for this take. No one was feeling let down. They, this was the greatest show on turf Rams. They physically punished them on line of scrimmage and proved that they could compete. Yeah, I was actually at that game. I was sitting in one of the oh, end wow. zones, and Terrell Buckley intercepted a pass, Kurt Warner pass, and ran it back for a touchdown. He ran right at where we were sitting. I remember that game. And the vibe leaving the stadium that night was nothing of the sort, nothing at all like what Bob Kraft just described. It's not. I'll tell you what, if you really listen to him and you remember how what the vibe was among Patriots fans after that game, and you, I've heard players after the game and recently talk about it, and they say to themselves, you know what, we could beat that team. And Willie McGinnis said as they're walking off the field, he's like, if we play them again, we're going to kick their ass. You know, it gave them confidence. This is supposed to be the best team in the league, and we should have beat them. We didn't play well. We could have beat them. We should have beat them. It, it was anything... It was the complete opposite of what Kraft just said. But the one thing about the dynasty, there's a couple things, but the thing that really kind of jumps out to me is it, is it makes me, the good part about it is it makes me reminisce about just a truly great time in my life. Like I remember where I was. I remember who I was with, how much fun it was to be a Patriots man and all that sort of thing. But one of the things about it was I always felt like one of the, the things that made it great were the fact that, Bill Belichick was our head coach and he was the greatest. And that I honestly felt at the time that Bob Kraft was kind of an outlier as an owner, you know, like he wasn't like the Ursays and he wasn't like these other guys, you know, on the, you know, I always felt like, you know what, we have a really good owner. And I think it probably starts. I, I believed that for 20 something years and watching this and listening to that clip and how out of touch he was and how it's all about him and how he's perceived and how the media perceives him and the fan perceives him, all that sort of thing. What that tells me is he's not an outlier. He's just as big of a narcissistic piece of shit as the rest of them are. He just, you know, there's a long list of reasons why Bob Kraft should be thanking Bill Belichick. Every single day he gets out of bed, he should get on the phone and thank Bill Belichick. One thing he needs to add to that list is that Bill Belichick created this culture of success that was so unlike anything anybody had ever seen that it was able, it, it allowed Bob Kraft to hide the fact that he's such that he's the same as the rest of them. And it allowed him to kind of sit in the shadows and, and put this false persona out there that we, that we all bought you know, as Patriots fans and thought he was this, it, it's really kind of disheartening that, you know, that, that now like the, the veil's down and now we see what a, what an asshole he really is. And it's really kind of disheartening. And there's a scene in, um, in the Spygate episode of uh, the dynasty where it's, it's the week leading up to the San Diego charger game after the whole thing 
broke and blew up. And Randy Moss is talking and he's saying that Bob Kraft came up to him. And this is after Kraft shits all over Belichick in a previous clip. And he says to Randy Moss, you know, when you came here, you were, you know, the one thing you need to realize is that we're a family. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know, we're a family. And even if one of us does something stupid, he's a member of our family and we're going to defend him. And he's our guy. He's all that sort of thing. And the cool thing about being a Patriots fan, especially during all the bullshit gates that we had to deal with, that sort of family kind of atmosphere felt like it rippled down to the fan base. You know, like if you wanted to get me asked up in a hurry, start talking shit about Spygate because I would stop what I was doing and I would, you know, buckle up the chin strap, load up the cannons. And we were going to, you know, we were going to have it out. I was going to let you know that you don't know what the hell you were talking about, you know, like, and I felt like I was defending fan, like, that all that was what was so fucking cool about being a Patriots fan during that time is we were all kind of like felt like we were part of that. And now it's like you hear Kraft just doing the opposite of that. Like he's put out this documentary to say basically what he's saying in here is it was all me. You know, it's not Belichick. Belichick is the guy I had to I had to clean up his messes, you know, and it's like it's so disheartening to see that all this this guy that we thought was one thing for 20 something years is actually, you know, just a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, it's essentially what he's boiled down to. That's exactly what he's, what he's telling me he is. So that's kind of my take on the dynasty so far is, and I don't think that's what Kraft wanted either. Cause I mean, if you, I think if you pulled Patriots fans right now, I think Kraft would be stunned at, and I'm frankly, I'm stunned that somebody could have as much goodwill as that man had and set it on fire as quickly as he set it on fire. I bet you 60 percent of Patriots fans right now would say the exact same thing that we're saying that, wow, I didn't know he was a piece of shit. Huh. Who knew? <laughs> you know, like that, so it, that's kind of where I'm at with this dynasty it, bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's that it's that saying, right? It's close, close too close to the forest. You can't see the trees. Like if You're right. Imagine you having that being able to be that close and see all those amazing memories and you just you you just miss uh, you just you can't can't figure it out it's almost unbelievable kyle um i want to put this clip over to you um this is bill belichick and we all remember this if if if, if we can go back to bill belichick sticking with tom brady and you know, because Bill, because Drew Bledsoe was, you know, the talk of everybody, and Bill Belichick wanted to stick with this guy. And again, this is Kraft saying what you know how much he hated Bill Belichick for doing this. And here's the clip, and then you react to it, Kyle. When Drew was cleared medically, and Bill didn't put him back, I didn't feel good about it, and I felt that Drew was treated unfairly. People who have been loyal to us are like family. And Drew really was like a fifth son to my dad. And I watched him agonize over this whole thing with Drew. My dad could only imagine how that was eating Drew up inside. And he had so much personal affection for him, it made it doubly difficult. Drew came to see me. And we had a long chat, and I said, I'm going to talk with Bill. As coaches, we knew that that was going to be a difficult conversation. The relationship between Drew and the Crafts was very close. 
I mean, Drew was a big part of saving that franchise. He was the hope of not only of the, the fans, the franchise, the crafts, right? They had made this huge investment. So to Robert, this was more than just a player move. He expressed his disappointment. But in the end, he said, listen, if this is what you guys believe, if this is the way it's going to be, it just needs to be right. I came back and met with Drew in my office. And I said, look, Drew, I could tell him that I want you to start. If that's not what he wants to do, that's not in your or my best interest. If nothing else, he can mess it up and I can hold him accountable. This, 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 and again, going back to what Rob was, was talking about, how can Kraft think this makes him look good? <laughs> what do you think, Kyle? It's I, I've I've gone between which does he have a bigger version of either a savior complex or a messiah complex? I, I and and in a way, I think it started with a savior complex where. He, he saved the team, and it didn't have it move, and that, that whole thing with Connecticut didn't happen, except it did. Um, he currently, I think we've all determined that he wants so badly into the Hall of Fame. Everything soft and gentle and well done was done by Robert Kraft. Anything mean and nasty and business-like was done by somebody else, which is weird for a guy that's a billionaire because – you didn't get to be a billionaire by not being ruthless in some way. I, I it's just weird the, the the attention grab, but maybe it's a late in life thing. I don't know, and, and and he wants it so bad before he sees the end of the road or what have you. Um, but it is it is frightening thinking about that. I love Bledsoe, but he was done at that point. He hadn't played well in a couple of years. He was punch drunk from getting hit so much, and he threw the craziest interceptions. Yeah, you go back to when the Super Bowl with Parcells, and 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 I thought he kind of got. If anybody got hosed over the most in that game, it, it was um, Bledsoe, and he, I think what did he throw three or four picks in the thing, and a couple bounced right off of Ben Coates, but. It was just time, and sometimes in sports, it's hard to see that, particularly with people that are your favorites all the time. It's just time, and and with Bledsoe, it was, and I was wrong at the time. I thought Bledsoe was a better quarterback. Clearly, that hasn't been true as Brady becomes the greatest quarterback of all time, but you looked at arm talent and things of that nature, and Bledsoe had a friggin' cannon. He could throw it from any angle anywhere, but it doesn't matter when you're throwing it to the other team. And and we learned over the next 20 years how important taking care of the football was. Uh, but the craft thing, it's just, it's just weird. I, I don't quite get it, but I, I think he wants to be remembered. They say all dudes think of the Roman Empire, right? Um, I think he wants people to remember the dynasty as a, tri a triumvirate. Like, uh, who was it? Uh, Marcus Crassus. Caesar and 
Felix Pompey or whatever, you know. And he he's not in the triumvirate some for some reason and he wants in really bad. I, I think he is in the triumvirate. He just wants a bigger slice of that pie, which I have always said on this podcast, the pie of who is responsible for the, di- the, the length of that dynasty is the stupidest argument in sports. It, it is impossible. It couldn't have been done without all the players that were playing. It couldn't have been done without all the coaches that were playing a role. Yeah, an owner had to, make, had to give the autonomy to Belichick to run with that. But what I'll say is it's pretty clear that if that fumble had gone the wrong, you know, if that if that was a rule of fumble on the tuck rule game against Oakland, that there were going to be some conversations that offseason. Because if he was disappointed by that Rams game, and oh, we'll hold him accountable, we could be living in a world where he fired Belichick, put Bledsoe back in, and traded Brady. Like, it, it's pretty clear that was on the table, based on what Kraft was saying. So we're one loss away from that versus having six Super Bowls and completely revitalizing what the franchise looked like. I mean, to me, it's, he, he's going down the path, and I don't want to get political with it, so pardon that it's a very loose political reference. He's very much going down the path of Rudy Giuliani, where he was beloved. He was, Amer- you know, he was America's mayor of owners. And then all of a sudden he's out in front of the, you know, lawn care place with his fake dye dripping down the sides of his face like a crazy person. It, it's, it's just all of this goodwill that he's looking to actively undo is incredibly infuriating. I, I, I look at it and I, I question who thought this was a good idea. And, you know, part of me wants to say he's never thought that way till now. But when you look at the difference in how the Patriots defended Spygate, versus how they defended Deflategate, it's pretty clear that Bob Kraft did not care what anybody thought of Bill Belichick. He very much cared what people thought about Tom Brady. He very much cared what people thought about his quarterback, his son. Belichick didn't have that relationship with him, and so it was, fuck it, he can be, people can hate him, I can shit all over him, it doesn't matter. And, and it's just, it's always been the case. He wanted to, Clearly he wanted to let go of him if things didn't go well in 01. He was pissed off by what happened in 07 and didn't give the benefit of the doubt that he gave to Brady in 2016. And then as soon as things don't go the way he wants them to go post-Brady, he wants to move on and shit all over the legacy of Bill Belichick. And I, I just, it, it's, I, I, he doesn't recognize how intertwined Bill Belichick is with the success of the Patriots. And all he's doing is making the success the Patriots have look like luck or look less impressive. And in an era where there is a very impressive franchise in the league right now, I would not be going out there and trying to minimize what my dynasty looked like. Because there's another team with a heck of a quarterback that's won three rings in the last five years, and that could be looking down the nose a bit. And if they if they don't go out there and say, oh, how lucky are we? All of a sudden, people are going to go, Kraft said it himself, it was lucky. Kraft said it himself, he would have changed everything about this. You know, Belichick didn't do anything, and it, clearly the Chiefs have a better run. That, that's what he's gearing up for, and he doesn't even realize it. It's just minimizing all the success this franchise has had, and that's why people are taking it so negatively. One other thing about the dynasty, too, is it seems like they're focusing more on scandals than they are on actual 
Super Bowl wins and great seasons and great games and all that sort of stuff. So I'm curious, when are we are we going to get the episode about Kraft getting the handy in the massage parlor? Is that going to be a, is that going to be like a full episode since we're hitting all since we're playing the hits here? I'm curious whether Kraft Dynasty LLC is going to let us have that episode. Well, I'm sure we'll get the episode where Aaron Hernandez mur- is, kills himself and murders another person, and it's all Bill Belichick. You know, Bill Belichick should have known that Aaron Hernandez was a crazy person. Belichick told me to draft him. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> that's a good impression. There's gonna be there's gonna yeah, listen, we we all know that because of the way this is going, they won't show it. And the reason is very clear because they don't want this to look like it has a happy ending. I wanna go back to um what we were talking about with Andy Fart um a couple of minutes ago. Uh, I played the wrong clip. I wanted to play this this is the clip where they're talking about, you know, how their belly's being rubbed. And, but these, and again, male, these are the people you're dealing with. I've always believed, even whether it's players, you know, if a player, I said this to Christian Fourier today on the midday show on WEI, if a player smiles and says, hey, Mike, that was, a, that was a good question, buddy. Yeah. Almost irrelevant what he says after that. You walk away like, hey, I like that guy. He's yeah, nice right. Fe-. Like you can buy people mm-hmm. in terms of their energy and their opinions. And this staff, this head coach just bought some sway with mm-hmm. the media. Yeah. Now, that's it. If you if you if you tell somebody, oh, what a good question, that means they'll like you more and they'll give you favorable coverage. I mean, if this doesn't tell you not just sports media, but all media, you know, politics, entertainment, if that doesn't tell you what they're up against, then I don't know what to tell you. So uh, I want to go back to the dynasty here and I want to play this clip because. This is um, actually from uh, Scott Pioli, who I, someone, somebody that I respect a lot from the organization. And this is him talking to Bill Belichick, telling him to be careful how he handles this, because, you know, Drew Bledsoe is this beloved failure in New England. And if you bench him, then, you know, things might happen. So here you go. We knew that we were going to be held accountable. And I remember saying to Bill... We need to be careful. Because of what Drew's given to this organization, what he's given to this fan base, the hope that he has given so many people. If we don't handle this right, we've seen that movie before. So help yourself there. I'm not coughing in, so I don't... Long before Bill was at the Patriots, he was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Don't have a lot going back here. And we had a shot. He was starting to become this young, brilliant coach that had this bright future, but there was friction because Bill wanted to cut the hope of the city. Bernie Kosar. And here is Bernie Kosar in his offense. Bernie wasn't just a quarterback. He was an icon. He was from Ohio, so he was a local guy. He was a Brown. Bernie Kosar. Open man! He had a very good career, yet it was starting to head in the other direction. Kosar! Kosar is limping. Bernie broke his ankle. 
And when he came back, he was less mobile than he had been in the past. That was ugly. Bill decided in order for the Browns to move forward, it had to be without Bernie. It was a painful thing, but uh, I, I concur 100% with Bill and his staff. I think that a new direction has to be taken. Basically, it came down to, I think, a diminishing of his physical skills. I was on the staff back then in Cleveland, and we knew it was the right decision, but we didn't have a great solution to the problem. And then Cleveland wanted his head when they moved on from Kozar, because and it, even to the point where Belichick had to have police at the entrance of the neighborhood he lived in. And what was a, I think there was a Browns fan on the dynasty who said, there ain't never going to be anywhere that man can't hide because we're going to hunt him down. Imagine being a Cleveland Browns fan and wanting a full-blown al- alcoholic quarterback who's barely functional to start for your team. I mean, Kozar was a shell of his former self, and he couldn't perform anymore. But, yeah, Bill's the bad guy. Rob, go ahead. I'm going to say something. Who knew Art Modell was a better owner than Bob Kraft? <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought Art Modell was, like, bottom of the barrel. I thought he was, like, the you know, worst of the worst on the list of all-time owners. The other interesting thing about the Bledsoe decision on the dynasty is I never heard this before, but they actually gave the reason why they chose Brady over Bledsoe. And it was um, Ernie Adams um, was a huge part of that, where he basically had been watching a bunch of tape on Bledsoe and had said, you know, he's gun shy. Like as soon as there's any sort of pressure, he turtles. And he there's a scene where Ernie Adams calls Scott Pioli into he's like, you know, Scott, come here, look at this, look at this guy, you know, like we can't play this, that sort of thing. And it's like, I never heard that before. All you heard was the, oh, it's best for the team, blah, blah, blah. But it was kind of interesting to actually get that insight as to why they made that call. Yeah. Kyle, what did you think about that aspect of, of, of Bill Belichick? And they, of course, they, they glance, they go to the nineties because, you know, again, this is Robert Kraft wanting to say, look, look, look how, look how shitty Bill Belichick was as a coach before I got him. Yeah. And the Cleveland situation is very misunderstood for the most part. He, he put it back together and then they, they announced they were going to pack it up and leave. But what he left there became the, the Ravens team that won in 2001. So like what, what he did wasn't all that bad. Um, everybody has gonna gonna have growing pains as a coach because the first time you have to call a fourth down play, um, everything's new, and what decision you make is good or bad based on the on the results of the stuff, right? Because it's that's just kind of how sports works. But it, he was never that far off, even in Cleveland. Um, I remember the game they beat the Patriots with Bledsoe as a quarterback in the playoffs. Um, but, but that, the, the same problem then is now it's good quarterbacks are hard to find and they didn't have a, a great answer for Bernie who was, again, he was done too, but it's fascinating how they're selling who's what, you know, um, clearly setting up villain roles and hero roles and all that good stuff. And at, at the end of the day, it'll be, uh, Kraft tried to hold it together. Brady was a loyal soldier for as long as he could. And 
the mean man in the back finally won out and it didn't work out. I, I just want to add a fun fact here. What people neglect when they hear about this Bernie Kosar thing and what's skated over and should be noted in the dynasty if it were a real documentary is that they went 11-5 and five the year after they stopped, they benched Kosar. That was the best year that Belichick had in Cleveland. And they he made beat the, the Patriots. No Parcells yes. Patriots. They made a bold decision to bench Bernie Kosar. And in the short term, it was an adjustment. They didn't have, you know, they needed to decide who it was going to be. They decided on Testaverde, and Testaverde started, and they went 11-5. and five. Like, that's, that's good positioning. Then everything went to shit as they were getting ready to move to Baltimore. But when you have a team where it's like a new ownership, they're likely to bring in a new coach, no one's listening to anyone in that room anymore. The fans are going to make every game a road game for you at that point. It's a miserable experience. I Like, you know, I'm not going to dismiss a bad season. It's a bad season. But there were a lot of things that Belichick was going up against after a really successful 11-5 and five year with, you know, nothing against Vinny Testaverde, but a kind of a, a, a mediocre quarterback to go 11-5 and five with. But he had enough talent on that team to push forward. So, you know, they focused on the death threats. They focused on the fact, you know, they didn't mention his record at any point. They didn't mention how that went. They were just like, oh, it's been, it happened once before and they made it seem like it failed. It didn't fail. It immediately succeeded. And then you decided to move the team to Baltimore. I, I just, I, I like, I can't, I, I understand the idea of the lore building here, but it, it all comes across as half truths in what is supposed to be a documentary, which is supposed to objectively be related to finding interesting facts and tidbits behind it. Why is there not like depth provided to this? We're not, we skip over the entirety of 2003 and 2004, except for a brief montage. We skip over, if we're going to give that historical context, we skip over how Belichick did when he made that move. If Kraft had said, you know what? I had faith in Belichick because he had done it once before in the first year without Kozar, they went 11 and five. That would have been interesting context. It would have shown Kraft to be a savvy owner who had looked at the history and had said, like, he knows what he's doing. I'm going to trust him to move forward, even if I was immediately disappointed in the first game after, though he shouldn't have been. It's it's just, it would have shown a different light, even if it, like, that's the kind of thing that would have been an interesting nugget of information versus, like, I was pissed. Belichick bad. He's done this before, and it went bad. Everything Belichick has done is bad, except ignore those six Super Bowls. We're just going to skip by 03 and 04. Those, fuck those. Those, those, were, those were rings. They're nice. We've got the banner. We'll talk about them later. You know, at Tom Brady's retirement ceremony in the stadium. You know, at a different, you know, if it's a Brady biopic, we'll talk about it then. But we're not going to worry about this whole success thing now. We're just going to shit on Belichick as much as possible because Bob Kraft was the key to the dynasty. And if anybody, if he had passed away in 2002, there would have been one ring and that's it. Also, the unintended consequences, I'm sure, for Kraft is that whole sequence of events with the whole, you know, starting Brady over Bledsoe and all that sort of thing. And then going to back to Cleveland and showing, you know, all this stuff, the death threats and Kraft's like, I'm going to, you know, fire him if this doesn't go well. I'm going to hold him accountable. All that does to me is it just shows me that 
Bill Belichick is like that South Park meme with the giant balls in the wheelbarrow, just <laughs> wheeling them into Gillette every day. You know, like that is the that that will go down, in my opinion, as probably one of the top three ballsiest decisions that a coach has ever made and stuck to, considering that Kraft basically just said not basically he did just say if it didn't go well, he was fired. Whereas the safe thing to do would be to start Bledsoe. And then it doesn't go well. And they, I guarantee you that season would not have gone well if they started Bledsoe the rest of those games. But Belichick probably wouldn't have got fired at the end of that year, you know? And he, you know, the, to me, that's like the foundation of the whole, you know, do what's best for the team, not what's best for me. That whole mantra, everything. He personified that, you know? And I, I don't think Kraft intended for it to come over like that. But to me, that's what I saw when I watched that clip. Success or failure on his own terms. That's that's been Belichick's mo his entire career, and the other piece is players win games, and you know what he did? He picked the right player. He said it. This is at the end of the day. If you take nothing else away, he made the hard decision to pick the right player, and that player was a key component to winning six rings. If you if you don't want to give Belichick an ounce of credit for anything else, in two thousand and one. He picked the right player, and if he didn't, if he didn't, that player could have won rings for another team. Tom Brady could have been your nemesis and the one that got away. So if you, like, everybody was like, oh, it was all Brady. Well, it would have been all Brady if he got shipped off somewhere else then. So there would have been six rings were lamenting somewhere else. So let's, let's put that in perspective a little bit the next time you want to say it's all Brady. Because Belichick has always said players win games. And if nothing else, he picked the right player. End of story. And football aside, like, you know, you just played that clip. They were literally hanging Bill Belichick in effigy outside of Cleveland Stadium. They have people on camera being like, that motherfucker's not safe anywhere. You know, like his life was like, you know, like he was being threatened. And yet he still went back and made the same similar sort of decision again, like, it just like that is ballsy to me, you know. And, and it would have like you know notoriously New England fans are very casual and respond well to to things lightly. You know, we're we're a very relaxed bunch up here in the Northeast. So I, I can imagine that if it had gone badly, you know, there would have been like a little you know relaxation there. You know, like everyone would be like, "It's cool, Bill. Take your time. We're we're not mad at you. We're just disappointed." One of the guys, well, probably one of the people who come out smelling like roses at the, in this documentary so far, at the very least, is Ernie Adams, um, director of football research. Um, he, he's just a goat, and the next two clips I'm going to play emphasize that very much. The media is the group that I call the scribes. It's just a lot of people who don't have a clue what they're talking about, frankly. But there are some experts in New England on football. And they all work in the coaching staff for the Patriots. If you're not in the building, you don't really know. That's it. Drop the mic. That's it. And this next clip, um, I don't know if Ironhead wants to use it for his intro, but I think I might use it for for, for title weekends because it's it's perfect. With Colin Radio, when I have it on for about two minutes, I kick myself and say, "You dummy! That's why you don't listen to it." And I turn it off for another three weeks. I would have said, "I would have said forever," but King, yeah, just awesome. 
And 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 so many people, I don't know what they come away with thinking about Rudy Adams. And a lot of people thinking, oh, he's to, he's cheated along with him. You know, if, if people come away with anything else from the documentary, it's that which you said, Bill. And Ernie Adams is a go. That's it. I think that's what I take away from it. Well, and that Bill Belichick indirectly killed everyone Aaron Hernandez killed, I'm sure. Let's, uh, you know. That too. too. You know, like, you know, accessory to the murder of all those people, Bill Belichick. Um, I'm sure will be the next episode. I'm I'm very, I'm very much interested in not watching that and then seeing all the quotes come out where it's, you know, Kraft asking Bill, did you know that he killed people? I, I'm gonna, if that like I, I'm half joking, but I I can't. Yeah, you know, like I went down. I'm gonna bet there's a quote of something where Kraft's like, I marched down the Bills' office and asked him what he knew. And then <laughs> I, I will I will die if it's the truth. But I'm half expecting it, so you can be like, I want to make sure that Bill didn't know anything. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> accusing him of being an accessory to murder. Uh, I'm just I, I I don't understand why that yeah. needs a whole episode. I, I don't like the the episode titles do not give me a lot of uh a lot of confidence that these show that it's going to show a lot because there's an episode um in the next couple of weeks because they they uh load two episodes every week so but these these are on March eighth and March fifteenth it says score to settle with Jimmy Garoppolo nipping at his heels and a coach that may not have his back I roll Brady stage is one of the greatest comebacks in sports history. Which that summary is a lie. How would Bill are they referring to Bill Belichick not having his back? Is not having he literally Brady's said back? in the press conference before the Cardinals game. He literally said in the press conference, he's like, <laughs> Jimmy's going to start the first four games, then Tom will be the quarterback as soon as he comes back. How is that not having his? How back? is that not having his back? It, he, and the well, Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa Vito press conference during the Flake Gate was that yeah, not having I, his back? I, mean, I guess that was. I guess he was supposed to say. Okay, but... and, and let's and let's add John Lynch. After the fact, there was a call made to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, but that co- that call also included a question about Tom Brady's availability. And John Lynch, who has no interest in making Bill Belichick look good, tells everybody that he laughed him off. Oh yeah, he doesn't have his back though. He's like, oh come on, like so yeah. This this is all nonsense being hyperbolized to make craft look good and then the next episode is called breaking point tensions boil over when belichick makes a questionable decision on the biggest stage we all know what that's referring to right malcolm the malcolm butler decision in super bowl 52 which i i i think we might have to devote an entire episode to debunk it I, you know what i'm gonna i have an illegal way <laughs> don't tell anybody to watch this uh series but when this episode comes out I think we're going to have to do an entire episode on this episode because debunking all the bullshit that's about to come out of this. Because Malcolm, Malcolm Butler played to, like shit. Yeah, Malcolm Butler, Butler played like it. shit that entire playoffs. Does anybody want to talk it. about Mel, Malcolm Butler played like shit and then missed a curfew or something? Like, oh no, that would have made all the difference. About, that's what that they're going to talk about. Like they bench Revis for Christ's sake, you know. Like yeah. Malcolm Butler was a below-average corner. He would have made zero difference in that game. Zero. I, who would have made a difference? Dante Hightower and the linebackers, or Alexander, somebody like that. So they anyway, had we'll, over we'll, nine a carry in that friggin' game. 
Yeah. It was it, over it, nine yards a carry. Oh, but Malcolm Butler is a very effective run stopper, didn't you know? <laughs> he's he's Vince Wilfork in the middle. He's 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 playing outside overhang linebacker. Woo! Yep. At what, 168 pounds? And and then yep. the and then going back to the episode titles, the last one is Endgame, which, you know, very clever name there, right? You didn't take that from, you know, a very famous franchise. Um, after a decades long run of Dynasty Crumble. So this is all, you know, Kim Kardashian level, reality show level bullcrap that I'm not ready for. And it, you know, the right. last the, apparently the the episodes three and four have delved into that. So if these if those next episodes are any indication, it's gonna be bad. Can can I just throw out there that like if you're talking like this is ten episodes and let's talk about the 10 most important things from this franchise. Here's what they're started with. They committed two episodes, one to sort of the like Bledsoe injury and the other to the culmination and the decision to stick with Brady. I sort of say fair to staying to sticking to those two early. I think that's reasonable. Episode three is mainly about Bill Parcells. And episode four is basically about Spygate. So we skipped 0304, and now we're going to jump into Aaron Hernandez, Malcolm Butler decision, and the end of the dynasty. Like, are they are these the most important things about this dynasty? I would love to hear about the actual goings-on in the draft room for 20 years. I would like to go into how they determined free agency. I would like to go into how they made decisions to let go of a guy a year early versus a year late because they did that as soon as 2002, I think, with Lawyer Malloy, or was it 03? Either way, they did it very early on with players like Lawyer Malloy, and it was a key to making sure that you didn't burden yourself in the salary cap. You could go out and get the players you wanted to get to build the championship roster around Brady routinely. Obviously, Brady taking, uh, you know, taking reasonable salaries had an impact on that. But, like, those are the things I would be interested in. I want a whole fucking episode on Ernie Adams now. Like, you know, like, everyone's like, what does pink stripes mean? Well, no, no, no. Give me a whole episode on Ernie Adams' job. I would watch the shit out of that. Give me a day on what it's like to be a coordinator for Belichick and talk about McDaniels and Yes Man Genie and Cronell and Weiss and, you know, how Steve Belichick acclimated and how Gerard Mayo did. It could be a nice introduction to Gerard Mayo as head coach. Like there's a better way to do this about 8,000 different ways that are better to do this. And the way that, that they've chosen these as the top 10 most important things is baffling to me. What One clip that I do want to play to end this discussion on the dynasty for now is this clip on Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And when, again, when people say, oh, it's all one or it's all the other, this clip should, it should paint a different picture. Well, hopefully it does. So here it is. You know, Tom, Tom said uh, he's done a pretty good job. Now this is nine weeks. He's done a pretty good job every week. Uh, not perfect, but pretty good. And, you know, he had, I don't know, three or four touchdowns today, whatever it was. And, and you know, he, I mean, I thought that play throw at the end of the half was, was really a heck of a throw. Tom understood his role on and off the field, how to help the team. He prepared extremely hard individually uh, on his fundamentals, his techniques. It's too early for cameras. 
Tom, I feel like, got the best out of me because he was so well prepared that I felt like I had to keep up with his preparation. This is, uh, yeah, I just wanted to show a few plays here. I think Coach saw something in me that he could work with. We had quarterback school, and there was me and Coach Belichick. We'd sit in there, and we just were football junkies from morning, noon, night. That's all we did was talk about football. I loved working with Tom every day, seeing the game through the quarterback's eyes and understanding what he saw. I think those are things that help me be a better coach. If you're here, what a good quarterback should do is play. Coach Belichick taught me so much. I could not be the player I was without him. See what it looks like today. See what it looks like. Brady was a sponge. He was absorbing all of this information and applying it on the field. And one of the things that Belichick values over anything is improvement. All right, beautiful. You know, uh, Bledsoe was kind of like this. And Brady would go from here to there. Bill Belichick respects it. He loves that. Nice ball. I remember this one time I was having this conversation with Bill, and he says, this fucker, Brady, he's making this play, he's making this throw, he's making this adjustment. You don't have to tell him. He understands the, the complete situation. I've never seen anything like it. Tom, good-looking series right there. Good-looking series. So Bill, he had a belief in Brady, and the players could sense that, and they bought into it. So that's it. They both trusted each other. So for all those idiots who say all oh, that, oh, it's one or the other. Oh. And then there are, I saw somebody in uh, somewhere else saying, oh, well, what's Brady going to say? He's, what he's always said for 20 years? He said that exact same thing for 20 years. So that, that, that says it all to me. It's the truth. It, it That's all anybody's looking for. At the end of the day, it was all of them. It was the players. It was the coaches. Yes, the ownership plays a role there. And, you know, Bill and, Bill and uh, Brady trusted each other for a long time. And, yeah, that trust eroded. It's time to go somewhere else. And that, that can play out and that can happen, much like any other job in the world. You get tired of working with somebody after a while. It can drain you. It can wear on you. It's nothing against any of the parties involved. So let's make a documentary about the greatness of it. Let's not make a documentary about something that happens in every workplace every day. Yep. No, 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 no reality show stuff anymore. Just get a good documentary filled with players, with players who appreciate the effort of, of the coach and themselves. And it, it would it would make for better television for at least for my view and I know a lot of you guys this as well. Um, before we go, we have to talk about uh, some player departures for the, from the Patriots. We delved a little bit the last time we podcast potted about Matthew Slater, and it he just made it official that he is retiring. So at the end, I'm going to play some different things, but but I do want to talk about Lawrence Guy, who I think he doesn't get enough credit for what a dependable player he's been both, you know, setting the edge, you know, clogging up the running, running holes, but also football aside, just being a, a consummate Patriot, a, a pillar in the community. And when people talk about the Patriots and they see, Oh, it's so bad. And oh, the, those, those players are cheaters, blah, blah, blah. 
a guy like Lawrence Guy is somebody who is an example of what it means to be a Patriot. And I think that he is going to be solely missed both football uh, wise and in a leadership role for a team, for the team. And so, and obviously it goes without saying what Matthew Slater means. And we, again, we talked about it the last time, but talk about Lawrence Guy and what he means to this team, especially in the, the last, I would say, five years or so. Bill, Bill, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, he is a true representative of what being a a, a player on the Patriots means. It's understand your responsibilities, execute your responsibilities, and do it in a way that allows for everyone on the field at the same time to be successful. There's been no hero ball here for 20-some-odd years. That's what we've largely avoided. It's not not one person that is the star of the show, even with Brady here. It was, you know, Brady would make sure that there were, you know, Gronk or Edelman or, you know, other Moss or, you know, others. It, Troy Brown, Dion Branch, it, Wes Welker. It, it's always been people that come together to make the right, you know, I sort of said it about the coaching staff, like sometimes the sum is greater than the parts. And I think that Lawrence Guy understood that he could be the part of something exceptional, much like Willie McGinnis, you know, I, I, you know, Willie McGinnis late in his career, much like Teddy Bruschi, even when he was coming back from the stroke. Uh, it's these players that dedicate themselves to doing the right thing at the right time, every time, and allow for the right plays to be made. I mean, the pillar in the community part, like they're losing a lot of locker room leadership this year. That's a that's a major concern, and th- honestly, that's part of why I understand bringing in Mayo as the head coach. Um, if you were going to let go of Belichick, it's part of why I I respect the bringing in of Hightower guys who understand the importance of the locker room, and and understand what that locker room should look like to be successful. I get that, um, because the drain of good people like Lawrence Guy, Matthew Slater, Adrian Phillips. Let's not forget about Adrian Phillips. I mean, heck of a player for a few years here, and then his role diminished because there were other really talented players that needed a shot on the field. But they're losing a lot of veteran leadership. Um, you know, I, I, I just... You can't speak to it without speaking about the team on hold. Lawrence Guy made the Patriots' defense inherently better every time he stepped on the field. And it broke sports media's brains, which might have been my favorite part, because they didn't understand what he brought. It was, what is this guy doing on the field? He's, he's setting the edge. He's doing the dirty work so that other players on the team can get the success that they need to. He'd make the play when he could, when it was within his description. But he was often doing the dirty work that no one was ever going to thank him for. And I greatly appreciate Lawrence Guy being that consummate professional you're looking for, and just an incredible person. So, you know, wishing him well wherever he lands, because it sounds like he's not done yet. So looking forward to seeing him on the field next year, wherever he plays. Rob, what's your take on on Lawrence Guy and Slater? Yeah, I mean, ditto to everything Bill said. I think um, I think it's the guys like the, the Lawrence Guys of the world um, that have always been overlooked on the Patriots. You know, whenever we hear the, you know, the Twitter geniuses talking about, they don't have any blue chip players. You know, I think the whole sort of 
Belichick roster building philosophy was, well, I can afford one blue chip player or I can have seven Lawrence guy type players, you know, and he always opted for those type of guys who just showed up to work every day, did their job, did it very well. And those are the kind of guys that win you games. Um, I think it's also really cool that Matthew Slater gets the recognition that he gets because those are, he's another type of guy just based on the position and the special teams and all that sort of thing. I mean, how many people do you see the, again, the Twitter genius is telling us that special teams don't matter. You know, I think, unfortunately, I think that's a, a pretty widely held belief is in, especially in the fantasy football era where nobody has Matthew Slater on their fantasy team. So he can't be any good, but those are the type of guys that win you games on the field and then as you guys have you know alluded to like his leadership in the locker room is something that you know i'm not sure it's it's possible to replace that you know when there was um you know even when it was things that were outside of football that were creeping into the locker room it was always matthew slater who stepped to the microphone and spoke eloquently on behalf of the entire team, you know, with, with all of that stuff. And, you know, I, I just don't think you replace a guy like that. And it's also, um, I, I find it very interesting whenever Bill Belichick is asked, you know, a goat question or asked about coaching and the sort of thing. He always says, you know, I've had the privilege of coaching the best offensive player in Tom Brady, the best defensive player in Lawrence Taylor and the best special teams player in Matthew Slater. And the fact that he equates Matthew Slater to Lawrence Taylor and Tom Brady, I think that's awesome. You know, and I think to me, that tells me everything I need to know about Matthew Slater. And I, I think not only is he going to be missed, I don't think he's, I think he's irreplaceable, but you know, we'll see. Kyle rounded out here about Slater guy. Guy, underrated dude. You know, you go back to, a guy like Ted Washington that had no stats in the Super Bowl against Carolina, but was a large part in winning that game. A guy was like that in a lot of games. Um, somebody's going to get a good football player out of him. Matthew Slater, special guy, special family. Go back to his dad, Jackie, Hall of Fame player. And then on his way in, a fast kid they didn't know what to do with, but one of, I think, two guys – in the history of football that are purely special teams guys that should be a Hall of Famer. It's him and Don Beebe. And and the leadership. The Steve Tasker, Jesus Christ, sorry. Um the leadership second to none, better human being than even football player and an excellent football player. Won't see us like again. Yeah, and one thing I'll say to, to finish out with Matthew Slater is it his career arc should inspire anyone who has ever had a setback in life because he's had a plenty of those. He was a three-star wide receiver committed to UCLA. Between a turf toe injury and a stress fracture, he'd missed the majority of his first two years, and he didn't record a single catch. And by his junior year, UCLA would switch his position to cornerback. and. He played, I believe he played 13 games. And then that's where he excelled on kick coverage. He would have major big hits, like jarring hits on kick returners, which would minimize the kick return yardage. Nine tackles, including six solo tackles. And the senior year, he led the Pac-10 single season record with, uh, he had 34 kicks, 
for a 29 yard average and three touchdowns. Uh, and then, but and then he was able to be selected by the Patriots in the fifth round in 2008, 153rd pick overall. Um, the Patriots actually traded up with the Buccaneers before they traded before they drafted Matthew Slater, and his father. It, it says that his father Jackie, you know, obviously he was happy with the pick, and he said to the Herald that he got phone calls from scouts, administrators in the league, who knew both of them and said that this was this team was the perfect fit for Matthew Slater, and. It it was. It turned out to be. I would say nobody's. Everybody's going to talk about Gronkowski, and everybody's going to talk about uh, Brady and the obvious, you know, big name picks. But I believe for the heart and soul of the team, I think no one was better than Matthew Slater, especially in the uh, in the better part of the second quote unquote dynasty. So um, he he will be missed very much so. So. Um, salute, uh, salute to both of them for their hold contributions up, hold up, to the Patriots. Hold, hold up, Jack. It's it's. What do we got to say about a Hall of Fame special teams career from Matthew Slater? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that'll do it for a title weekend this weekend, and uh, well, but well, I think we're running into the new league year, so I know there's going to be a whole bunch of of bull crap that happens with the new regime. So uh, we'll see if we do a pod in the next month, considering what's going to happen. So, but I'm not ready for that. Um, but until then, you can follow me at Atomic Dog 5150 on Elon Musk's social media machine. You can follow Rob at Hoodie Supremus. You can follow Bill at the Fib 0624. Follow Kyle at Kyle Gunzinger, and you can email Entitled Weekend at EntitledWeekend at Gmail dot com and tweet or X at Entitled Weekend. And until next time, listen to Ernie, Ernie Anderson. <laughs> listen to Ernie Andrews <laughs> when he talks about the media because that's what you should do for the rest of your days. With Colin Radio, when I have it on for about two minutes, I kick myself and say, you dummy, that's why you don't listen to it. And I turn it off for another three weeks. I felt like, you know, I won not only for myself, but for my dad. When he won it, I felt like I won it as well. I got to see a young man grow from a kid to a guy who knew how to be a champion and became a champion. I love your son. Thank you very much. And I love you because of the way you treat him. I've never had a more classy guy in 23 years. There isn't one guy in that locker room who doesn't look up to him. Love you, man. I love you too, buddy. Let's finish it, huh? Let's do it. You got it. You're a beast, dog. Nah, I'm not no beast. You're a beast. You're a beast. You play through everything. Uh, I appreciate you. You do too. A lot of people would look at the high-profile players on the team, like the quarterbacks and the running backs and all the the special players that you hear the names call all the time. But you know, I worked in that environment with a bunch of guys who weren't the stars; they was just the backbone of the club. How you doing, man? Good. I got card blunt, man. They give me card blunt. Have a good time. I grew to appreciate what rank and file effort brings to the table when it comes to trying to be a champion. Everything good? Everything's good. Good. We got in all okay. Everything. Got us. We're all set with our seats. Okay. We're gonna go up there and just check out the game, enjoy. And so, I think guys like my son here 
are always going to be the backbone of clubs. I think of my dad as one of the all-time greats. I just trying to hold my own out there, you know. <laughs> You're doing a fine job, love. You're doing a mighty fine job. I'm, I, I couldn't be more proud. I don't want this to be about me now, but I just want to say thank you. Thanks, fellas. It's been a lot of fun, man. And no matter what happened this year, I'm proud to say I was a part of this group. And most importantly, I'm proud to know the men that are in this circle and do life with you guys. I mean, that's, that's what this has always been about for me. And I'm going to be the biggest fan of everybody in here for as long as I can pull for y'all, as long as I'm in my right mind. Love you guys, man. It's been an honor. It's been an honor, fellas. Appreciate you. Family on three. One, two, three. Family.